Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I, I struggled to find a way to entitle this, but this actually makes sense, leaving the last year and looking ahead to the one um, in front of us. This will work. Brilliant. Christmas isn't so far away that most of you have forgotten about this. Um, a huge amount happened, a huge amount. And a lot of you learned how, you know, learned the art of hospitality, which is defined as the art of making your guests feel at home even when you wish they were. <laughs> and, uh, and we'll um, take that theme on now. We, we, we said a huge amount of things in the church, uh, Christmas celebrations, and you will have heard in this last month a bit about Mary, a bit about the wise men, King Herod, Simeon, Jesus, various characters, so I thought we'd just take bits from this and see what they could tell us. We just watched that video about Mary, and for her... You know, when we look back and say, what kind of a year have you had? She would have had stories to tell. There you are, minding your own business, and an angel comes in. And we trivialize that because not many of us would have had Angel Gabriel come to talk to us, but that can't have been normal. She wouldn't have been the same person after that. Very terrifying thing. And then she gets pregnant, she delivers the baby, and shepherds come, and they say quite a few different things. Wise men come bearing gifts. She goes to the temple and an elderly gentleman comes, takes her baby and makes a prophecy. And where you might have thought you were in control, Mary wasn't. Things were just happening to her without her being quite sure what this all meant. And we're told in the Bible, she treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. You probably would have had things happen this last year that you just can't quite understand why. March this year, tragedies, the Ethiopian Airlines plane crash. Some of you might remember the cyclone that hit Mozambique. And then again, just in the space of a week, the terror attacks in New Zealand a huge amount of things which is, it was, you put on the news and you didn't know whether to just switch it off straight away. When it doesn't seem to make sense, take a leaf from Mary's book, ponder these things in your heart. We're very quick to rush to judgment thinking we understand what's happened. The truth is most of the times we don't. Ponder them in your heart because looking back, very often it starts to make some sense. The next people that I'd like us to look at are the, are the wise men. So the Bible says Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, in the days when Herod was king of the province. Not long after his birth, there arrived from the east a party of astrologers making for Jerusalem and inquiring as they went, where is the child born to be king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and we have come here to pay homage to him. And I don't know if it happens to you, but it certainly happens to me. You read a part of the Bible and you think, surely I've read this before, why didn't I see that? 
I used to interpret this as they came and they went straight to Herod's palace, but it says they were making inquiries as they went. Where's this king? Where's this king? So you can imagine the whole town's beginning to say, what is happening? And by the time they get to Herod's palace, he's not the first to hear. He's one of many to hear this people are looking for the king to pay homage to him. One of the Bibles I look at has huge footnotes, and this is something from the footnotes about the wise men. They sought him, and when they found him, they responded with joy, worship, and gifts. This is so different from the approach people often take today. We expect God to come looking for us, to explain himself, prove who he is, and to give us gifts. Those who are wise still seek and worship Jesus today, not for what they can get, but for who he is. Again, this set me thinking. Some of you would have had that phone call and you go, what does he want again? Or, goodness. And there are people who get in touch only when they need something. But we are blessed now and then to have people who just want to be with us, who've just called because they wanted to know, how are you? What are you doing? And to actually look at God, to look at Christ in that way, where we begin to want to be with him for who he is, not for what we might get from him. The other thing about the wise men is, after finding Jesus and worshipping him, they were warned to God not to return through Jerusalem as they'd intended. They'd already planned what they would be doing, how they would get back, and God said, no, I need you to change your plans. And that footnote again says, finding Jesus may mean that your life must take a different direction, one that is responsive and obedient to God's word. You will have met people where you just look at them and you go, something's changed about you. don't know what it is, but something's changed. And when we find Christ, whether we know it or not, people begin to recognize something has changed about us. The bit about learning to obey his will and going in different directions takes us a long time to learn, but maybe we move from being antagonistic to at least wanting to follow. What about King Herod? Well, the wise men come to talk to Herod. He's suspicious of the newborn king, and so he takes vindictive precautions. The Bible says, when King Herod heard about this, he was deeply perturbed told the wise men, when you get there, search for this little child with the utmost care, and when you've found him, come back and tell me, so that I may go and worship him too. God informed the wise men to do something different, and when Herod heard, when he saw that he'd been fooled by the wise men, he was furiously angry. He issued orders and killed all the male children of two years and under in Bethlehem, and the surrounding district, basing his calculation on his careful questioning of the wise men. When Martin, our pastor, asked me to preach today, I asked him, what would we be preaching on? And he said, um, well, in the liturgical calendar, it's about the slaying of the innocents. I didn't think that was very, very interesting to talk about. But I've put it in here. Herod was so scared he took pretty radical action. And again, a bit like Mary, if you were living in those times, you'd wonder, where is God in all this? 
Herod was afraid this newborn king will one day take his throne. He completely misunderstood the reason for Christ's coming. Jesus didn't want Herod's throne. He wanted to be king of Herod's life. He wanted to give Herod eternal life, not take away his present life. Today people are often afraid. Christ wants to take things away, when in reality he wants to give them real freedom, peace, and joy. That footnote again says, don't fear Christ, give him the throne of your life. I read that and I just thought about myself. And you can call Christ Lord and Saviour. And for some people it doesn't, it's perhaps easier to see why they need a Saviour. Having had him as the Saviour, what I found a bit more difficult is make him Lord to truly have my will subjugated to his. I would like to do this, but when Christ says forgive, is it easier for me to want to take vengeance than to forgive? Yes, he's my saviour, but is he also my Lord? So, having learnt a little bit from those um, people from the Christmas story, I thought about what about going into the new year and here are a few thoughts I'd like to leave with you. Things to do with trusting God, things to do with listening for direction from God, about judging or rather not rushing into judgment of others and a bit about forgiving. So what about trusting God? In the church this last year, we've been looking at front lines and for me this has resonated quite a bit. It's basically saying the time you spend in and around church, if you look at that as a fraction of the rest of the time of your week, it's actually quite small. So the rest of your life that's lived, how do you live it in such a way that you're still able to reflect the Christ you believe in? So those are the so-called front lines. And so for me, front line would be work, it would be home. This might be a bit confusing, a basketball with a basketball net and then a trash can somewhere. But many years ago, when I thought I could do everything, I was actually quite sporty, and I played a lot of basketball. Then I tell people I had a midline crisis, and it's, um, <laughs> it's not helped. But there I would be playing basketball and, and doing it reasonably well. And then more recently, I've decided it's probably easier to throw things into a trash can than into a hoop. So th- there I am, sitting at the kitchen table a few days ago, and about to throw things into a trash can. And what I haven't told you about is I wasn't very good at that. So most of the time, after four goes, I'd have to go and pick it up and put it in. So I looked and I thought, don't bother throwing it, just go and put it in. And I thought, well, you never know. Well, and then I thought, I threw it and it hit the wall and went straight in. And then I did my whoop, as you do. And it just struck me then. It was essentially me just taking that step and allowing things to happen taking that step and allowing God to do his part. This becomes a bit more important, and I've cryptically put it as humble pie and a colleague. So, driving to work, I often listen to Premier Christian Radio, and there was Chuck Swindoll on the radio, and he quoted from this verse in the Bible. It's in Matthew, part of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is talking and saying, So that if, while you were offering your gift at the altar, 
you should remember that your brother has something against you. You must leave your gift there before the altar and go away. Make your peace with your brother first, then come and offer your gift. So you may not necessarily have wronged someone, but you know that someone feels bad or feels wronged. Put whatever you're doing down, go and settle that rift. So I heard that going into work. We had a meeting later on that day, and I remember it February the 13th because Boris Johnson had just become Prime Minister. And um, we're there in the meeting talking, and I don't know about you, some meetings generate more heat than light. This one did. And people were feeling a bit bruised at the end. And there was a particular colleague who was trying to make a point and felt they hadn't been listened to. I don't think we quite agreed with their point, but they really felt quite bruised by this. So we left and got to the office. Their office is next door to mine, and usually the doors open and they'd walk into my office and go. As I walked in, their door was shut, and you could see through, and they made like if they were just listening to something, and there was no eye contact. And I just knew there was something simmering. But again, I felt, well, I'd done nothing wrong. And then Chuck Swindoll's words came in. You may have done nothing wrong, but you know there is something between you and that person. Go and make your peace. Uh, That was difficult. I looked for every single way I could to not walk past the office, to not make a chance encounter, and there was just no way. They shut their door, they'd come out, look the other way and go. And then I realized the only person who would know about this is God. If I walked away and didn't do it, nobody would think, oh, you haven't done that. It was pretty difficult because these words were just there. So we get to the end of the day, I'm about to go home, and I go, you're going to have to do this. So I knocked on the door, opened the door, and the first thing they said was, oh, hi, um, oh, about Boris Johnson. And I knew that was my get out. I could easily talk about Boris and still not address the issue. And then I just said, look, about this afternoon, I'm sorry if you were upset. And they opened up and said, yes, they really were quite upset. And I said, this is the point I was trying to make. And we talked for a bit. And then I left. And the interesting thing as I was leaving was the door was left open, which had been shut. As I walked to the car, I just looked and I thought, God, that was between me and you. It was difficult, but I am so glad I took that step. Go away and make your peace with your brother first, then come back. So humble pie and a colleague, I learned, ours is to sow the seed. Do what it is you've been asked to do. Allow God to do the rest. He will prepare the ground, provide the grain, provide the rain and make the seed grow. Jeremiah puts it differently. He says, God tells us, he knows the plans he has for us, plans to prosper us and not to harm us, plans to give us hope and a future. So just before starting, coming um, to talk, um, somebody came up to me and said, go ahead and do this, I know God will be with you. Words to that effect. God had laid it on their heart. They took that step out, and God will actually make whatever their obedience was come to fruit. God's plans for us are good. So that's a bit about learning to trust God What about listening for direction as we go into the year ahead? Another thing we've been doing in church is where do we grow from here? Looking for direction from where we are 
to where we need to be? Where do we grow from here? It's asking for direction. Paul in the Bible um, went on quite a few missionary journeys and on one of them we're told in Acts 16 they made their way through Phrygia and Galatia but the Holy Spirit prevented them from speaking God's message in Asia. When they came to Mycenae they tried to enter Bithynia but again the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. So they passed by Mycenae and came down to Troas where one night Paul had a vision of a Macedonian man standing and appealing to him in the words, come over to Macedonia and help us. As soon as Paul had seen this vision, we made every effort to get on to Macedonia, convinced that God had called us to give them the good news. This is taken from Word for Today on the 12th of December. And Paul would have thought my mission is to go and spread the word. Surely we need to go to each of these places. But almost every time he made an effort, something came in and stopped him. Tried again, something came in and stopped him. You are going to have things you have planned for this year coming. You will have prayed about it and you will believe God is in it. And there will be times when, for whatever reason, you can't quite then get there. Before you begin to believe, maybe I just need to pray harder. Just pause for a second. It might be God's only way of saying, I know that's what you chose, but this is where I really need you to be. We will have those times. Please don't be despondent. They carried on traveling, and then they got to a stage where it was clear where God needed them to be. Another person in the Christmas story is Simeon. We're told about him. It says in Jerusalem was a man by the name of Simeon. He was an upright man, devoted to the service of God, living in expectation of the salvation of Israel. His heart was open to the Holy Spirit, and it had been revealed to him that he would not die before he saw the Lord's Christ. He had been led by the Spirit to go into the temple, and when Jesus' parents brought the child to have done to him what the law required, he took him up in his arms, blessed God and said, at last, Lord, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For with my own eyes, I've seen your salvation, which you've made ready for every people, a light to show through to the Gentiles and bring glory to your people, Israel. Again, I've read that quite a few times. But then there's this bit about, it says his heart was open to the Holy Spirit. At some point in Simeon's life, he'd become aware he would see the Messiah. God had made that known to him. Whether he knew when he walked into the temple that day that it would be it, we're not told. But again, when he got into the temple, he knew. We're not told how. We're told that the Holy Spirit led him to go into the temple And lots of people would have seen this couple with their child, but to one individual, he goes, carries him, and he praises God for him, to that one individual. Sometimes you look at it and you wonder, well, the Holy Spirit talks to people. How does God actually talk to us? How how do we know? So, for me, I've come to learn God does speak in ways we recognize. Nobody else might, but you will. So another cryptic thing, I've called it birds singing. 
I'm going to work, and some of you might think I just daydream as I go to work, but there I am, get out the car, and as I'm walking, it's about a week to Christmas, and just from the car park to the office, there are lots of crows, and they were cackling, and it wasn't a lovely sound at all. It was just noisy, noisy. And then in the middle of all that, just with a little lull, there was this lovely singing from a bird, I don't know what kind, and then the noise again, and I just thought, maybe this is Christmas, so much noise around, and yet somewhere in the middle is that meaning of Christmas, if only we could hear it, if only we could see it. So that stayed with me, and we got to Christmas Day, um, indulged in calories, and thought I would go and walk it off. So I'm walking around the estate, and as I'm walking around the estate, it's just crows. And they were making a significant noise, just walking around. And I had this sermon in mind thinking, Lord, please, please show me what to do, what to say. And I'm walking around. And then I got to a stage where I could have turned left or turned right. For some odd reason, I turned right, walking back home. And just as I rounded the corner, there must have been 20, it sounded like more, birds just singing. It was the loveliest noise you could have heard. Now... Many people would have walked that way. It meant something different to me. God speaks in ways we recognize. And I walked back with a bit of a spring in my step as I walked back home. It was like, yes, Lord, you, you're there and you answer. God does speak in ways we recognize. In the Bible, in Isaiah, it says, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your heirs will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way walk in it. So you will get to times this year where you are just looking and saying, God, please show me how. It might be birds, it may not be, but you will know. The next bit I thought I'd talk about is about judging others, um, something we're all skilled at. So you will remember these two individuals. And it doesn't matter what your political orientation is, you would have made a judgment about them at some point. Don't like you, like you, hate you, whatever. You would have come out with something about Theresa May, something about Boris Johnson. So in June, she formally resigns. December 13, Boris Johnson becomes UK Prime Minister. We're pretty good at this. Sometimes we've really jumped in, showing our skills in judging, and then we have to eat humble pie later. Max Lucado, an author I like, this is what he says about judging others. Not only are we unworthy, we are unqualified. We don't know enough about the person to judge him. We don't know enough about his past. We condemn a man for stumbling this morning, but we didn't see the blows he took yesterday. We judge a woman for the limp in her walk, but can't see the tack in her shoe. Are they too loud? Perhaps they fear being neglected again. Are they too timid? Perhaps they fear failing again. You don't know. Only one who has followed yesterday's steps can be their judge. Not only are we ignorant about yesterday, we're ignorant about tomorrow. Dare we judge a book while chapters are yet unwritten? Should we pass a verdict on a painting while the artist still holds the brush? How can you dismiss a soul until God's work is complete? Be careful. The Peter who denies Jesus at tonight's fire 
may proclaim him with fire at tomorrow's Pentecost. I don't think I'm one who denied Christ at his crucifixion, can't put myself there, but I certainly know growing up, there are times I was certainly that one who didn't identify with him, and I find myself standing here with you now. Another bit I like is, he says, don't call Noah a fool, you might be asking him for a lift. (laughs) Don't dismiss a soul until God's work is complete. So back to Theresa May and Boris Johnson, whatever your thoughts about them, Paul says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. December 13th, I woke up, turned on the computer, and it's Boris Johnson wins landslide victory. And I just had this calm over me. I could now just pray for him and ask, God, please direct his steps. Forget about what my political leanings might have been. He was clearly prime minister, not a coalition government. His government may God direct his steps. Forgiveness. I've put here seeking and given. So earlier on I talked about going to seek forgiveness. What about giving forgiveness? This is what Christ told Peter. Then Peter approached Christ with the question, Master, how many times can my brother wrong me and I must forgive him? Would seven times be enough? No, replied Jesus, not seven times, but seventy times seven. For the kingdom of heaven is like a king who decided to settle his accounts with his servants. When he had started calling in his accounts, a man was brought to him who owed him millions of pounds. And when it was plain he had no means of repaying the debt, his master gave orders for him to be sold as a slave and his wife and children and all his possessions as well and the money to be paid over. At this the servant fell on his knees before his master. Oh, be patient with me, he cried, and I'll pay you back every penny. Then his master was moved with pity for him, set him free and cancelled his debt. But when this same servant had left his master's presence, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a few shillings. He grabbed him and seized him by the throat, crying, Pay up what you owe me. At this his fellow servant fell down at his feet and implored him, Oh, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. He went out, had him put in prison until he should repay the debt. When the other fellow servants saw what had happened, they were horrified and told their master the whole incident. Then his master called him in. You wicked servant, he said. Didn't I cancel all that debt when you begged me to do so? Oughtn't you to have taken pity on your fellow servant as I, your master, took pity on you? And his master in anger handed him over to the jailers until he should repay the whole debt. Then Christ says, This is how my heavenly Father will treat you unless you each forgive your brother from your heart. Max Lucado puts this story. He says, A condemned criminal was sent to death by his country. In his final moments, he asked for mercy. Had he asked for mercy from the people, it would have been denied. 
Had he asked it of the government, it would have been declined. Had he asked it of his victims, they would have turned a deaf ear. But it wasn't to these he turned for grace. He turned instead to the bloodied form of the one who hung on the cross next to his and pleaded, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered by saying, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. We're asked as Christians to follow in Christ's footsteps, to be like Christ. I think we are so much more like Christ when we forgive. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Picture yourself, someone's wronged you, and they come back to you and say they're sorry. You then have a choice. You can forgive them, or you can decide, I'm sorry, that was just too much but they've at least come to say they're sorry. What if, if they haven't? What if, if they don't even know to come and say sorry? We didn't even realize we needed a savior. We didn't realize what we did to Christ. We didn't go there and say, please forgive us, no. Even before we knew to ask for it, Christ said, they don't know what they do. Father, forgive them. We are asked to take that step even before the person has come to say sorry to have a heart that wants to forgive. And until you get to a stage where, as they say, the rubber hits the road, you think it's easy, then you find it's pretty difficult sometimes to let go. But that, I think, is probably when we're most like Christ. So, as we go into... 2020, I'd like you to trust God, but don't go and buy your trust from the old hedging my bets shop. Um, Too often we do that and we just hang on to something just in case. No, God's asked you to do something. Just, Just try to leave it with him and trust him. The hedging my bets shop also is where you would buy other things. We're asked to forgive. You might decide you want to buy grudge light, You don't want to keep a grudge, so you'll just take grudge light, and that's fine. Um, I'll forgive some of it, but maybe not all. No, let go of everything. Don't be judgmental. You might want to take decaf judging. It's still not the way. (laughs) Just let it all go. Trust God. Forgive. Try not to be judgmental. Jesus is said to have told someone who asked a question about what the greatest commandment is. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I think you go back to this thing about this being the key, love. If we do love God, we will trust him. If we love our neighbors, we're hardly likely to be judgmental to them. And we're going to be that much more keen to forgive. So what was Christmas all about? Think again to these where there's stuff happening. Ours is a world in which there are tragedies. We look at it, some people call it a fallen world. It's tough. Definitely tough. And there are going to be things you see which just make you think, where is God in all this? God was there even before we knew it, loving us. He gave his one and only son, 
whoever believed in him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. We didn't know that was what we needed. Many still don't realize it is what they need. God didn't send his son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And he did it well in advance. And I was just thinking, how, could I, how can I convey this in a picture? Think of people who have a child who is maybe one, two years old and set up a trust fund for their university. The child doesn't even know they're going to school. The parents are already putting aside what they will need to get to university. We didn't realize, many of us still don't realize what we're going to need. God did, and he set that plan in place. Cost him a huge amount because he loved us. And so his instruction to us who have been so loved is that we love one another. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. We need to remember that going into the year ahead. If we do nothing else, as Martin said, um, that the minister last week, if he had to encapsulate our vision, he was let your light shine. Let's also remember that we need to live lives in which love for one another is paramount. I'll leave you with this. A Minnie Haskins poem, and I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. And he replied, go out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. That shall be better to you than light and safer than a known way. Can we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for this year that's gone And Heavenly Father, as we look ahead, thank you for the year that's coming. Lord, where we're confused, guide us. Heavenly Father, where we're struggling, where we're in pain, Lord, be there with us. Heavenly Father, help us to be our brother's keeper. Help us to show love for each other. Help us, Heavenly Father, to get to know you better. And Lord, as we live our lives in our front lines, may we reflect your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.